just like to just take over from Lockie. Oops, I was squeezing my water bottle and it's dripping down my legs. Wait a tick. Always a good start. Looks like I've wet my pants. All right. Um, I'll just move this around here. There we go. We're looking good. Alrighty, uh, we can go for that first slide, Jen. Beautiful. Um, obviously, I'm not Andy Hogarth. I was going to actually title what I was going to speak about today being not Andy Hogarth. Um, and when he called us, because they've just opened a new church out the other side of town, and their first service was last Sunday, so this is their second week, um, and Andy and the band uh, are all there tonight. And it was interesting because when we heard that, we thought, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Um, we're kind of in a bit of a pickle. So what are we, how are we going to solve this and what are we going to do to get around this? Um, so a couple of phone calls, uh, the band said, yep, we'll get back together. So the guys that you heard this after tonight were here yesterday uh, practicing because they were expecting to have a night off. So kudos to them for turning up and uh, doing that, which is good. And uh, then we started thinking about, uh, oh my goodness, what are we going to speak on or what am I going to speak on? And the, all the questions started rolling around in my head and trying to work out what the deal was. And sometimes when you think about what you're going to speak on, whoops, let me just get rid of that down here, um, you kind of uh, start thinking about a whole lot of stuff, which might be the stuff that's in my head or also might be the stuff that God's prompting me to say. So hopefully today um, what comes out is a couple of things that you might be able to pick up on and that you kind of ignore my ramblings and pick up the bits that uh, God is speaking to you about. So I've tried my best to try to um, separate me from what I think God should be talking about and I came up with the whole idea and the theme of comfy cushions. And if I go like that, that's even better. Uh, I just have to tell you, I've actually got um, my words coming from here off my phone, which aren't synced to the th computer back there, but are synced through here. So I've actually got to think of two things at once. And being a boy, it's not going to happen. So if I ever get behind with my slides, I'll tell you. But my whole thought today was uh, to talk about comfy cushions and how sometimes um, in our lives we get really comfy about where we are and we organise our throw pillows on our bed uh, and we lie in them and we're very, very comfortable and we're nice and snugly. Um, but, need to say from the beginning, is that um, we are all sinners saved by grace. So if you remember the, the Ferris Bueller's Day Off, this is grace. Um, so we are all sinners saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. So I've, I'm rotten to the core. But God has forgiven me and loves me for who I am. And the same with you. So uh, what I'm talking about today kind of comes out of that and the fact that uh, we are all blessed and we're all held in his grace um, and he loves us um, and no one is better than the other person. So um, that's probably one big thing. And then I first started, then I started thinking about a couple of other things and started thinking about the whole idea of antibiotics. So I've probably got four streams of things that I'm going to try to weave together tonight. So if that comes together at the end, it'll be tickety. If not, then just pick up all four and pretend they're all parallel stories. But the first thing I thought of was that the fact that um, uh, our life, especially our life in church, sometimes becomes like antibiotics. Is that we, uh, we take them a lot and then suddenly they lose their effectiveness. So now we're at a stage with, medically, I'm not a doctor, um, but medically we're at the stage where we have got so many antibiotics floating around that um, our body gets used to them and they can't actually fight some of the killer bugs. And sometimes I think that's kind of permeated through what we do as people in our culture, but also permeates a little bit through what happens inside church, is that we've just got numb to everything that happens and we're quite comfy and we're quite here and it's quite, quite good. I don't reckon this bloke here, when he um, first invented this device, um, figured at all the impact it would have. This is Steve Jobs with the iPhone 1, the first one that came out. I've actually got one of these still at home. It um, doesn't work anymore because the, the operating system doesn't work, but uh, it's all there. So he invented this thing that means that we could be connected and interconnected between each other far more than we ever could have before. 
Um, and whether he envisioned what is now happening now, uh, when he first uh, put this together, I don't know. But now, most days, uh, most people will have some sort of smartphone, smart device in their hand, in their pocket, uh, on their bedside table, um, in their car, uh, whatever. If you've ever driven with a car that's got Apple Play, you plug your phone into it, it tells you where to go, it tells you where to drive, it's absolutely phenomenal. So, this thing here is quite cool. And what it's meant is that we have become um, interconnected, more interconnected than we ever have before, but possibly we are more disjointed and socially inept than ever before. And um, this is funny for me because I actually work in a company that talks about and works with technology, so it's like talking to me at the same time. Um, and I'm finding and I'm seeing in a lot of things that people are so um, caught up with the device that they have in their hand that the world kind of spins past them. Every, every, every minute, Google or Gmail filters 10 million spam and throws it into the spam file globally. 10 million every minute with 99.9% .9 accuracy. That's enormous, if you think of how much that is. The other stats, which are a little bit scary, are these ones here. Every minute in Australia, we send 16 million texts per minute, constantly through the year. That goes up and down, that's on an average, so Christmas it goes up to the top. Um, for Facebook, 31.25 million messages per minute are sent, that's globally. So we're in a world that is interconnected and sending messages and messages and images and things like that all the time. Um, the bottom one isn't really around the other way. It should have been five to nine, but nine to five sounds a bit cooler. On average, uh, we are spending between five and nine hours on a screen per day. And that's just an average. So some people are way over that, some people are that, under that. Um, so the problem is that um, we get so kind of used to having these things floating around with us that we have a dependency on um, using them that they tend to, like, like antibiotics, they tend to permeate what we are doing and we don't even recognise what's happening. Um, the whole idea of keeping a streak going um, on Snapchat will take over everything that we're doing because we want to make sure that we keep on feeding that, that photo line going in. Um, the other week, I've got that U Bible, whatever it's called, U version Bible on my phone, um, and I get a, a, a message every morning about this, you should, the verse, your, your verse per day. Uh, and I missed a day. And I was I kind of, I said to Jen, oh, look, I've missed a day. It's terrible. I've just, I don't know what's happened. I've, I've lost my streak. And I'm thinking, hang on a tick. Um, I'm now more concerned that I've missed a day of uh, my streak rather than spending time in reading God's word. And I wonder how much that's also permeated how we work and treat each other. That we're more concerned about uh, maybe that streak that we're going to miss or that image going out um, that we're not um, kind of concentrating on those around it. There's a big fear of missing out um, in the world. The whole idea of FOMO, fear of missing out, also leads to fear of making any sort of decision whatsoever. Um, that's my kind of personal view. Now, yesterday in the advertiser, Susie O'Brien, I don't know if you read it, Susie O'Brien was talking about um, the selfie culture with the whole idea that uh, we would rather um, capture what we're doing so that what we do and what we show um, is an image of what we're doing so everyone can see that either on Instagram or Facebook or whatever we use. So we'll take a photo or a selfie of ourselves, we'll post it and we'll make sure everyone sees it. So just a couple of paragraphs out of what she read, she wrote, was, uh, while everyone else is walking around enjoying the view, having something to eat or hanging out with friends, these selfie tourists are contorting themselves into silly Kardashian-style poses. They don't want to explore the experience, the vibe, instead they just want to document the fact that they've been there and look smoking hot. Now, young people travelling seem more interested in impressing a bunch of people back home who probably will never be impressed because they don't get off their phones long enough to book a trip, let alone take one. Um, 
If you uh, are in, I've got a Facebook account, but I don't look at it. But if you go through Facebook, you'll have these people posting things about this is the best day ever. I'm on the Riviera, I'm doing this. And you read it and your self-worth goes, oh my goodness, I'm not doing that. I'm not having the best day ever. And you start kind of having this cycle of, I'm not actually keeping up with everyone, which then causes a kind of reverse anxiety there. Um, And we don't necessarily uh, realise that... um, the, the posting of messages is a big thing. Last, or the other week I was uh, on the beach and I was walking along, I was going to take a photo off my phone but I thought that was just a bit silly. But there was all these people standing by the beach taking photos of themselves and selfies and not actually looking at the beach. And there was 15 of them in a group, 15 of them were taking photos and 15 of them missing out of what actually was going on. So I wonder how many times we use our device and are on it all the time that we miss out of what's going on. And sometimes it's, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse like antibiotics. Is that the blessing is that uh, we can be interconnected, but the curse is that we can actually be interconnected so much that we leave other people out. And so, uh, yeah, I posted it, they didn't turn up, or we don't make a decision about doing anything because on average uh, we have a, a reply to our text messages every three minutes. So we're living in a three-minute window. If we don't get a reply in three minutes, oh, my goodness, I've been kicked out, or we don't make a decision because we don't know what the reply is going to be in that three minutes. So we're in this kind of endless cycle of trying to work out what to do and how to get out of it. Um, and the funny thing is we are more interconnected than ever, but we are possibly more lonelier than ever. If you've ever watched that uh, show on the ABC Ambulance where they go and see all the old people, and there's a number of people that don't have anyone to talk to. But we're quite happy to sit on our phone and flick through what's going on all the time uh, and not actually look past that. My challenge to you, which I did the other day too, um, was to kind of look at how much time we're actually spending. Now, we often use YouTube as a source of entertainment and a source of um, inspiration and learning. These are the stats from YouTube. So in 60 seconds, 2.7 million videos have been viewed, 393 hours of videos been uploaded, and 136,000 hours of videos been watched. So that's every minute on YouTube. Now, I thought this, this is a, there's a thing called every second, every second on YouTube, you can Google it up, and it's just, just, it just sits there and runs away in the background so you can see how many things are going. And I thought, oh, it must be fake. So I went back, and this is about right. Every 60 seconds, that's how many things are there. And what happens is we look at YouTube and go, that's reality for us. That's how I'm going to learn. And we watch a YouTube clip to learn stuff, and we go, now we're an expert. Now, I must say, for me, um, YouTube has helped me change my brakes on my cars. It's helped me realign the gears on my bike. Um, but when it becomes the source of everything and then reality gets blurred between the device we have in our hand and sitting and talking with someone, it becomes an issue. So my challenge, my two-week challenge to you, is my first one, is um, have a shot at not spending as much time on your screens as you possibly do now. Now, there's a couple of apps you can get. There's one called Moments, which tracks how many times you use your phone and you look at your phone. And on the new iOS, you can actually have a look at how many times you pick your phone up. Challenge you for two weeks just to put moments there or, or put uh, an actor in iOS and have a look at how much time you actually spend looking at your phone. Um, my average is about four hours, four hours a day. Um, and I have my, my biggest number of pickups in one day was 165, which is 165 picking up my phones to see if someone was actually there and I put it down again. Um, so have a squeeze, give it a track, be, be brave. And if, you, if you're not, um, so whoops, don't tread on that, that's one of Lockie's pedals. Um, if you're not brave enough, Get someone to do it for you. Say, look, I, I want you to put this on my phone and I want you to password protect it and I want you to kind of look after it for me. Or even be braver, put your phone somewhere when you get home so you don't use it. Don't know. It's a challenge which uh, I struggle with because I live off mine all the time for work. 
but I wonder whether um, because we are in that environment, we get very comfortable with that little bubble that we're in and we don't notice anyone outside of that bubble. We get so comfortable being inside that spot that we actually don't go and look for people outside of the bubble that we're in. I'd like to talk about uh, another guy called Rory. Rory, um, believe it or not, is the 13th disciple. Um, He's not mentioned or not uh, because uh, Rory was actually into network marketing quite a bit and uh, he got kind of shut out from all the other disciples. When when I was in Africa with um, Sheps, who was here the other week, and uh, another friend of mine called Lordy, we made up uh, the 13th disciple called Rory and we had the book of Rory that we would quote from every night. Um, so we'd go to bed, the three of us were in a room together and all the boy, other boys were in a room next to us. We said to the other boys, now you need to go to bed and be quiet. It's night time, it's lights out, boys. Um, and we, the three of us, would just laugh all night. It was just crazy. We got hardly any sleep because we were laughing so much. But Rory came into it a lot. So we had the book of Rory, it would be something like Rory 7 verse 13 says, if one does not wash before one goes to bed, one will have a stink in the morning. Very good, Rory, Rory 13 verse 1. Rory 17 verse 9 is, Rory, um, thou who don't change to thou socks will be a burden for those in the room with him. So we made up all these verses about Rory and we would apply them to every, everything we did. Um, which was quite amusing. Now, the other thing that the boys did while I was there was this. Um, they put this rock in my backpack. This is the one that Shep was talking about. I've just got to drop something down. I've got to drop that down. So this is the rock that they put in my backpack. Let's see how big it is. They've actually mounted it now. So they put that in my backpack and I carried it around for two and a bit weeks without even knowing it was there because I had heaps of stuff in there. So every morning I'd put the backpack on, I'd drudge out to the bus, I'd carry it around, I'd put it down. Um, and they were just... Uh, Basically, they were just laughing at me for the whole time. And that's quite a heavy rock. And I only found it when I got to the end and I unpacked my bag to go onto the plane. I thought, what's this rock doing here? And both Lloyd and Shep thought it was hysterical. Um, my point is, um, we made Rory up and Rory became quite a real person for us. I wonder how many other, thing, other things we have taken on board that aren't quite true, but we're quoting them as being true and then we're following it. And the other thing is, I wonder how many of us have got something in our backpack that was possibly a burden to start with, but we've got so used to having it there that it's become a bit of security. And maybe God's actually saying, you know what, uh, it's probably time to, to maybe, maybe um, go to your backpack and empty it out and give me that rock and let's kind of go in a direction that's probably better for both of us. Because the whole idea of that rock in my bag, I didn't even realise it was there. And I just got used to carrying it every day. That's how heavy my bag is, no worries. We take stuff on board and we have it with us all the time and it likes... It's a rock and it's heavy, but it kind of becomes our security. So I wonder if there's anything in your backpacks, if you're being honest, that's in there that's a rock that you actually need to get rid of and just lay down for a bit. Peter was a, um, one of the disciples. I've been reading some stuff on Peter. And I've been listening to some stuff uh, about what he did. And Peter was a fisherman. Um, and when uh, Jesus came and uh, said, come and join me, these dudes uh, dropped everything they did we were doing, dropped their nets and just went and followed Jesus. Quite, quite an amazing thing. So Peter kind of was there and he dropped everything to start with and became an amazing follower and stuck, stuck by with Jesus and was just there through thick and thin. But what happened was when um, Jesus got to come get taken uh, to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane before they went to, he went, got taken by the Russian, no, not the Russian, <laughs> wrong, the Romans, um, <laughs> All these guards came up and said, um, are you, who are you? And he said, oh, I'm the son of God. And they just got flattened on the ground. 
Um, so just imagine that. Jesus just said, I am the son of God, and bang, they were flattened on the ground. These guys, just imagine looking at that, these soldiers, big, beefy guys, flattened on the ground by some guy that just spoke to them. Then they all get up, kind of sorting out their swords and everything. And Peter goes, I'm going to solve this, whips out a knife. For some reason, he has got a knife on him, and then cuts the ear off of one of the guys. Now, he felt, the whole thing falls to pieces. Instead of relying on God, um, Jesus, who he just saw this thing, he just saw him say his name and knock all these people flat, suddenly went, oh my goodness, I don't trust you anymore. I'm going to whip out my knife and I'm going to lob off this guy's ear. And then, if you want to read it, then Jesus um, heals him and his ear comes back, but he doesn't say anything about the other ear that's probably on the ground. So this guy, Malchus, has probably got three ears now. He's got two on his head and one in his hand. Um, so I don't know if that's true, but I kind of think that's quite funny. Anyway, um, then the learned behaviour that Peter had came up when he was under pressure. So when he was under pressure, instead of staying with God and staying by him, he then just goes, oh my goodness, I'm going to take this into my own hands, I'll whop off your ear. Quite interesting. Then Jesus is, is crucified um, and buried and rises from, rises from the dead. And these boys, the fishermen guys, went back to what they did before. They said, well, this is all over and done with, he's gone, we're out of here. They went back and went fishing, so they're out there fishing again off, off their boat. Um, and then Jesus rocks up after he's was risen from the dead and he's standing on the beach. So he's standing there and he calls out and he says, how you doing? And they go, oh, look, it's Jesus. And then when you read the Bible, it's quite funny, I said to Jen this morning, I don't know if I should say this, but I will, um, that in John 21, um, when he stands on the beach, they go, oh, look, that's, that's the master, that's the Messiah. It says, Peter gets up and puts on his garments and then jumps into the water and swims out to, to Jesus. Now, if he has to put on his garments, that probably means they were nudie fishing. So just imagine the 12 disciples, or probably six of them, sitting on the boat in their undies, fishing away, and suddenly Jesus comes, he whacks on his cloak, he goes out there, gets back to the beach, um, and the first thing that he does is he yearns to be back with him, um, and yearns to be back with, with, with Jesus. And the act that Jesus does is to serve them by cooking them breakfast. Nothing, nothing massive and huge, doesn't you know, heal 7,000 people. He serves them by cooking them a meal and sitting and chatting with them. And I think sometimes we, we forget that uh, friendship and talking with someone is, is quite, a, quite a sacred and holy thing. And we, ne- we need to do that probably a bit more than what we normally do. And then I started thinking a little bit. Uh, I was, I was, the other week I spent some time with Stewie Cameron and we were just chatting about something. And we were just mulling over. Uh, when we look at church, sometimes we have Peters in the group that are all zealot and they kind of drop back a bit and then they jump up and down. Um, and he pointed me in the direction of this book that looked, said that basically when we look at um, what we're like in church, there's probably four things that we do. And um, so this is my best paraphrase of my conversation with Stu and reading uh, half a book um, the other day, is that um, there are kind of four, they, so there's four kind of ways in which people look at God. And the first one is life over God, where... Um, you look at God as being a source of laws and if I use those principles from the Bible like being honest and friendly and trustworthy then I'm going to succeed in life um, so I'm actually all over it, all under control I don't need to actually engage with getting to know God, I just need to be over it, so I'm all over it, I know how it rolls and it's all pretty good the next one is life from God and this is where we look to God as like being um, the person that if we amass enough stuff to protect us, we will actually insulate ourselves from any calamity. And then God's kind of like our life insurance policy. So we want to get everything from him. We don't actually necessarily want to enter into a a rural relationship. We just see him as like your your auto-teller machine. The other one is life under God. 
And life is under God is when we kind of say, you know what? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to come. I'm going to go to Sunday school. Then I'll do this, and then I'll wash up the dishes at church, and then I'll do this, and then God will like me so much that He will bless me, um, and I'll be a really good person. Now, life under God is all about following all these rules and doing all the right stuff, but once again, it misses out on the fact that we actually haven't got necessarily a relationship with God. We're doing stuff for Him, but because of the fact that um, we don't have a real strong relationship with Him. We are using more of that kind of um, look at me, look at me type thing rather than having a real life relationship. And the last one, which is one, whoops, not that one. Oh, there should be one more. It's not here. Oh, so I changed it on this one, but not on that side there. There's one more called for God uh, and living for God. And what that means is that we take on a lifestyle or uh, an action so that we get the brownie points and impress God by doing stuff. We might go and... uh, be uh, work on the mission field, we might go and do this and that, but our motivation is to get God's favour, not being motivated out of the goodness of God. And so the best two people in the Bible that kind of, for me, illustrate those four things is Martha and Mary. So in the Bible, Martha and Mary are uh, uh, sisters in Luke ten thirty-eight, and what happens is Jesus comes and visits them, um, and this is what happens. So give me a tech to find Luke 10.38. Here we go. Right here. Um, oops. Luke chapter 10.38. Here we go. Uh, let's try there. Um, As they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word. But Martha was pulled away uh, by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later she stepped in, interrupting them, saying, Master, don't you care what my sis- my, that my sister has abandoned her kitchen to me? Tell her to lend a hand. Now, you've got to picture the two people. So you've got um, Jesus who's coming to visit. So uh, Martha um, goes nuts. I've got to get the house clean. I've got to vacuum. Oh, they wouldn't have vacuum back then. I've got to brush with my donkey tail brush, get all the dust out of the house, get it all sorted, get the, get the throw cushions in the right spot, get the dinner ready, get the, get the coffee and tea, get all the cups sorted. Um, make sure it all looks perfectly right for God. I'm, I'm, look what I'm doing. I'm getting this right to Jesus. It's going to be the best in the world, and I'll get Mary to help me. Looks around, and there's no Mary. Mary's just not there to be seen. So Martha gets a bit kind of ticked off um, that Mary isn't out there helping her and runs back into the house and sees her sitting at Jesus' feet just listening to what Jesus is saying, which really ticks Martha off. And Martha just goes, what the heck? You just imagine it. You've been cleaning the house all day long. Um, the guest suddenly appears and instead of everyone kind of chipping in and doing the right thing and looking good for Jesus, um, one of the house hosts is just sitting there listening to him. Um, and, the ne- and then it goes on in the Bible, and a bit further on, it just says, um, Martha, dear, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself all worked up over nothing. One thing is essential, and Mary has chosen, chosen it. The main course that won't be taken for her, from her. And the main course is Mary chose to be with God. And I think sometimes we get caught up with being Martha's or getting caught up with life over God, life from God, life under God or life for God, but we forget the whole fact that it actually should be life with God. And that's what he calls us to be, to have a relationship with him and then everything flows from there. It's quite interesting that um, uh, we get so worked up about looking to do the right thing and having the right impression either via Facebook or Instagram or even just with people around us in our church and our communities, that we forget that the biggest thing 
is to actually be with God. And the whole idea is that uh, we have taken the antibiotics so much that we actually don't notice um, that these things are going on around us and that we have actually got into that spot of having that three minutes of gratification before we make a decision about something and we don't actually realise there's something wider than us. And God is a gentleman. God doesn't knock down the door, doesn't kind of come in kicking and screaming. He waits for us to say, you know what, maybe you need to uh, have a look in your backpack and see if there's a rock there that you need to take out. Have a look to see what's there. What have you done that has kind of shielded you from me? Um, and what, you, what should you do now to actually doing it? Now, sometimes you get so used to doing something that the whole idea of leaving it is terrifying. You get so used to doing something, the whole idea of leaving it and doing something different is terrifying. Uh, this year, I actually resigned from my job. I was working at Concordia, and now I'm working uh, full-time for this company where we do training. Um, and I knew I had to make a decision at some stage to do it, but I've always been involved with teaching. My mum and dad are teachers. My brother-in-laws are teachers. My sister's a teacher. Um, everywhere I look, there seems to be teachers. Um, and that's all I knew for my whole entire life. I just knew that when the bell went at 9.40, I could go and get my recess, and then after that, I could go to something else. Very, very ordered, very, very structured. To actually walk away from that and do something different is very terrifying because you're actually shaking up everything you're doing. It's like having a rock in your backpack. You're so used to having it there and it might be the group of friends that you are, it might be the jokes that you tell, it might be those kind of things that you've come used to that maybe uh, they're the things that are actually holding you back and they're bringing you security rather than actually letting go and letting God. Then the other things. Are we more like Martha than Mary? Now this is Princess Mary, just in case you didn't know who she was. Um, so are you, are you more like a Martha than a Mary? Are you more concerned about having everything ready to go and looking really good from the outside, whereas on the inside you realise that the whole thing's still kind of falling apart? Um, have we um, exchanged encouragement for criticism? Have we exchanged building each other up for making a little sarcastic joke about someone, um, which cuts them down and everyone laughs, but have we actually flipped that around and thought, are we actually building this person up? I remember talking to a staff member years ago uh, about some kids that were joking uh, and paying out a kid at school. And they, the, kid, the other kid said, you know what? But he laughed. We teased him, but he laughed. And I just said, you've given them no other option. When you tease someone and pay someone out, you give them no other option. If they don't laugh, they, they're even more singled out as being a loser. But if you are actually building them up and encouraging them, it's a different sense of humour altogether. If you've ever been to a third world country um, and talked to them with their senses of humour, their sense of humour is unbelievable, but it is a positive sense of humour, not a sarcastic sense of humour, which is built within our Australian culture. Really quite interesting. So, have we taken the antibiotics so much that we don't realise what we are doing is being damaging? Have we got a rock in our backpack that we're carrying around? And have we actually um, realised that uh, we are a Martha and not a Mary? Um, and have isolated ourselves from everyone else? Do we only associate with friends that, are, um, comfortable, that we're comfortable with, or do we go out of our way to make friends with people who may be a little bit uncomfortable? Um, it's quite interesting uh, when you start looking at stuff like this. That uh, I, This is looking at myself too. My, my group of friends I've known for ages, have I done anything to make new friends out of that that you let them know about God? Probably not, if I'm being really honest. Um, should I? Probably should have. So how do I do that in a balance? Now here's a video um, that looks at that whole kind of thing. It goes for about five minutes, so I apologise for the length. 
um, and it is shot in widescreen, so it looks a bit thin up here. But uh, this is quite a nice little video, so just have a watch and just think about those three things. Think about the rock, antibiotics, and are you a Mary or a Martha? The funny thing is, um, that whole thing with Garth is sometimes how we treat um, people in the church, but also how we treat people outside the church. If, if we spent more time with God and understanding that uh, through that relationship with God and through grace and forgiveness, we have the most exciting gift in the world to share with other people, possibly following Jesus would be a bit more exciting and also following Jesus would mean that we would be busting to share that with other people. Um, interesting, you know, someone develops a weight loss pill, everyone's jump on board and take it and tell everyone about it, but um, we have the biggest gift in the world, we have the best gift in the world and are we willing to actually be a little bit uncomfortable and talk to some other people about it? Um, are we willing to move from our comfort zone and stretch ourselves a little bit and like Peter, be called to follow by dropping our net, taking the rock out of our backpack, um, looking at it as being a Mary, not a Martha, um, and then taking on that challenge to go and help people. Now, the funny thing is, when Jesus, like Peter, Peter denied Jesus, he cut this other guy's ear off, you name it. When Jesus comes back and he cooks some breakfast on the beach, he says, do you love me, Peter? He goes, yeah, do you love me, Peter? And he keeps asking this question over and over again. And he said, yes, and then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Take care of people. Look out for people. Bring them under your wing. Take care of people and be with them. I wonder if we, because we have been in church or grown up in church for a very, very long time, we forget that. And we're quite happy in our, in our little bubble, but anything outside of that is quite hard. The act of actually helping someone and picking, picking someone up and leading them on is quite a big thing. It's an act of service. And I wonder if we've got so much stuff in our backpack or we are so used to um, doing things the way we used to uh, that we have become immune to the fact that God actually loves us and cares for us massively and he calls us to cook breakfast for our friends um, and help them out. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gift of your son and that uh, you have blessed us amongst, uh, above everything we could possibly imagine. And there are times that we have uh, put stuff in our backpack that shouldn't be there or listened to the wrong type of voice, like listening to Rory, and that we have become immune to the other things that are going around us. We've been caught up in a culture that uh, wants us to take photos of what we're doing and post it to people that we don't know so that they kind of have a bit envious of what we do. And often we are like a Martha, um, where we're flapping around all over the place trying to get things done instead of just being with you. Father God, I pray that you speak into our hearts and you challenge us to change the things that need to be changed, to amplify the things that need to be amplified and to take the things out of our backpack that we need to take out of our backpack that we've been hang hanging on for a while. Help us be encouragers, enthusiastic reflectors of your love and just remember that those comfy cushions that you've provided for us to be on have been provided by you, and they're none of our doing. Please help us to share that with other people. And thank you so much that you care for us and love for us, love us, 
and the fact that your grace surrounds us and accepts us because there's nothing we can do that helps us unpack our backpack or realise that we're on a run of antibiotics that we need to change. That your grace will lead us into a relationship with you that is based on being with you and out of that we can help others. Amen.